0: So the last one we're going to talk about is possibly one of the hardest boundaries because it's a one. It's not hard because of, of you know uh, of, of understanding it. It's actually a pretty easy boundary to understand, but this is the one that people get the most frustrated with is boundaries and God. Why do you think people get frustrated with that? Yeah. God's not tangible you can't see Him specifically. Okay. Okay. All right. God's not tangible. Why do you think God, why do you think people get up in arms over this topic? Okay, all right, all right, that's true. They don't have control. They don't have control, okay, yeah. We don't, we don't always know why. Okay, yeah. Maybe because we do fear them, yeah. So, fe- they, they do. And that's a big one, is they want to put God in a box to where they can understand them. Okay, yeah, especially if you're earthly father, you wanted to rebel. That's absolutely right, and so you're you're absolutely right. Um, It is a complicated. uh, It's it's a complicated thing. Uh, It's a it's a subject where people. Um, I mean, either like really welcome it or really are angry about it. And y'all have kind of noticed this too. When we do lessons and when we get to, to things like when we've all doing the study and we get to discipleship, the discipleship lesson in the study, usually how people respond to that lesson is really interesting. You know, to where, where Jesus says things, some really hard things that we don't shy away from, like where Jesus says, you must love me more than your father, mother, brother, sister, wife, yes, even your own life, or you cannot be my disciple. We look at those and goes. those are hard teachings. And so, and if you want to put God in a box and understand him, you can't understand why God said those some of those things. God can do things. Did you know this? And this may come as a shock, but God can do things in your life and not have to explain anything. What? Yeah. He doesn't have to do, he doesn't have to explain a thing. Oh, Gary, that's uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, let's take a look at the first lesson, or one of the first scriptures that we talk about. You know, we talk about uh, the, the Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. God told Philip to go to the southern road towards Gaza. You know where he was? North towards Owasso. That'd be like being in Nowata, and God's saying, hey, I want you to go to Bigsby, okay? And you're going down to Bigsby for no reason. All you have is what God told you to do. And so you walk from Nowata to Bigsby. And then you're like, I am going to find out what God wants, us, wants me to do here. And then you see the scenario, and you assess what God wants. There's a guy in a chair coming by. He's the only guy that's literally on the road. Maybe that's who God wants me to talk to. <laughs> and so he, he does that. And so, but God didn't have to explain anything. In fact, he didn't say there's going to be a man, and he's going to be an Ethiopian, which means, Philip, he's going to look a little different. <laughs> and because he looks a little different, he needs, still needs to know that he is a good man, and that he has a purpose in my kingdom. No, Philip just understood people have a purpose in the kingdom. And God said, go down to the southern roads. So that's what he did. So God doesn't have to explain himself. He doesn't have to do it. And so, but he does give us some boundaries. And for, for things, that he respects our boundaries and we respect his boundaries. So we got a Mickey Mouse video. <laughs> and so that talks about how boundaries and God work out. Let's take a look. It's <laughs> <And> so, so ridiculous. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. <laughs> and so, and, but it, it, in one aspect, it's true. And the fact that when we think that we're going to come to church and we're going to do this one thing, when that plan gets mix, mixed up, well, no matter what it is, we're going to sing a certain song. We're going to behave a certain way. It's going to be in a certain order. And things don't happen the way they think it should happen. Kind of that pandemonium happens. <laughs> you know, like, we're going to die! <laughs> you know, and the building blows up, and everything falls down and crumbles, and you're sitting there like, <sighs> but the truth of the matter is, none of that happens. You know, I mean, if I mean, in the wishing well, and I always thought that was kind of funny, it's a dumb kind of thing, but I mean, none, none of that's real. You know, I mean, but we come to church and we expect like God, we're going hey, I'm going to give my time, or I'm going to give my my offerings, and then I'm going to get something back. And when it doesn't happen the way we happen, a lot of us behave the way that they behaved. It's like, I want what's coming to me. And God's like, eh, that's not the way it works. That's not the way it works. So and with boundaries with God, we've got to realize a couple things. Boundaries help us do a couple things. The first is boundaries help clarify our part in his mission. That's what boundaries help do. They help us clarify our part in God's mission. Another thing that boundaries help us do is they give us purpose. Boundaries help give us purpose. And the other thing is that the boundaries do is they practically see his mission carried out. So that's what boundaries help us do. And when we know whose we are, our life has purpose. And when we struggle with, with who we are in God, then we struggle with the purpose that God has for us. So whose are we? That's a very good question. I'm glad you asked. Let's go to John chapter 15, verse 5. Jesus says this: I am the vine, and you are the branches. So who are we? The branches. All right. Ain't, yeah, that ain't hard. Yeah, that's who we are. Who is he? That's right. If you remain in me and I remain in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Verse 6. But if you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into a fire, and burned. Verse 7. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So let me ask you this. Whose are we? Yeah, no. Yeah. So we are the branches in this, right? That's what, we're suppo- that's what we are. God's a vine. We're the branches. What are we to do? In verse 5, it says it. Remain in Him. It's all pretty easy stuff, right? What happens when you remain in Him? You bear fruit. And what happens if you don't remain in Him? You can do nothing. You can do nothing. You're weathering and dying. This is all pretty easy stuff right there, right? How do we bear fruit? Remain in Him. And why do we bear fruit? Oh, close. What's verse 8 says? For the Father's glory. So, whose job is it to bear fruit? No, the vine, Jesus' job to bear fruit. It's my job to remain in him. That's my job. And so what's what's awesome about that, and what really helps me with that, is that if he's the vine and I'm the branches, what's my job? That's it. I am to remain in him. That's it. That's it. I remain in him. I don't become my own tree and start giving substance myself to everyone around. Because what does Jesus say when that happens? What will happen? Yeah. And not only that, such things as like that are, are, are actually cut off and they're burned. They're gone away. Jesus says, Jesus says, it is our job to remain in him. And it's our job to bear fruit. Now, bearing fruit, I believe there's two types of fruit that he's talking about right here. The two types of fruit is character. And this is found in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 25. We'll read it real quick, so you could go in your Bibles as well. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against things there are no such law. Those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step by the Spirit. So who is Paul describing in verse 23, 22 and 23, just by curiosity? Who is he describing? Huh? That's right. He's describing the Spirit. I can't tell you how many times when i come across this, though, people go, you know what my job is? What's my job? My job is to have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, and against things there's no such law. That is my job. And I'm like, there's a problem with that. Is God's not describing you, he's describing himself. My job is to crucify my passions and desires and remain in him. That's my job. And I tell, and when people come up, and and it always happens when people come up and they say things like, I just don't think God is working in my life. Ask this question, have you crucified your passions and desires and are you remaining in him? No, no then you can't be surprised when you're not producing nothing. You can't be surprised. You're not connected to the branch. So what, is the, what does it mean to be a branch and remain in Jesus? What does it mean to be a branch and remain in Jesus? You ever thought of that? Hmm? Yeah? No? No? For those who remain in Christ have have, uh, crucified its flesh and desires and its passions. And I think verse 25 of Galatians is super important. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step by the Spirit. We call ourselves Christians, right? That means that Christ's Spirit remains in us. So who's leading us? Christ. Yeah. We keep in step with the Spirit. We crucify the passions and their desires. It's our job to be opportunistic and walk through open doors. It is not my job to open doors. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's my job to walk through the doors that God opens. It's not my job to open the doors. And so we, we walk through and we go through. I love what Mark chapter 8 verse uh, 34 says this. As a crowd was coming together, Jesus said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, pick up their cross, and follow me. And so, and I think that's a huge instance of what it means to truly be in step with Him. It means we die to self. We're kind of familiar with that phrase around here, aren't we? Huh? You walk, the, you walk into the coffee shop, it's blatant right there. And I love that, because we need to be reminded of it daily, every time we can, is that it's not about me. The only way that I am going to be productive is if I remain in Christ. That is the only way that I am going to be productive in this world. And so... The next thing that he's talking about, uh, the next thing he's talking about is we're talking about character and he's talking about actions. Go to John in your Bibles, chapter 4, verse 34. Jesus just in John chapter 4 had this, uh, had this talk with a, uh, a Samaritan woman. And she wasn't a very good reputation. Uh, she was known for sleeping around for a lot of people. And Jesus, Jesus reveals to her that he is the Christ. That he's the one that's, that's, that's coming into the world and that's going to take the sins away. And, uh, and then she actually goes into the town, and she says to all these people, I found a guy who tells me everything about me. Could this be the Christ? And then it cuts back to Jesus, and he's sitting there at this well. And the disciples came up, and they saw Jesus talking to this woman of ill repute. And they look at her, and they go, ah... Uh. Oh, no, Jesus is talking to a lady that he shouldn't be talking to. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. So they did what all of us would do. They offered him food. <laughs> hey, Jesus, you're not thinking clearly. Eat something. <laughs> you're not yourself when you're hungry, Jesus. <laughs> Eat a Snickers. You know? That's, what, that's the equivalent of what just happened with Jesus. And Jesus answered this way. In John chapter 4, verse 34, he says this. He says, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying? It's still four months until harvest. And I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe with harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvest a crop of eternal life so that the sower and the reaper will be glad together. Thus the saying, one who sows, another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for, and others have done the hard work, and you will reap the benefits." Bearing fruit isn't just characteristics; it's also a physical thing as well. In verse thirty-five, when Jesus says, "says the fruit is ripe," you say there's four months to harvest. I tell you, the fruit is ripe for for harvest. This town in Samaria, where they're at, they're known for wearing white garments which I think is actually kind of cool because white, white garments meant you were poor. You couldn't, uh, you couldn't afford the colored dyed. And so you were poor. It was a poor town. It was a rejected town. and rejected Samaria. And with, at a rejected well, talking to a rejected woman. There's a lot of rejects right there, okay? And they, they couldn't afford colorful clothes, so they wore white. And so when Jesus is talking... A lot of scholars, I actually believe this too, when they're they're walking down, they're saying that the white garments from the city are coming across the hill, and they're coming down. And Jesus says, I tell you, isn't the harvest four months away? But I'm telling you, you're about to reap something that you did not sow. And these people come, and he reveals to who they are, and then he says, I must go. And what's really really funny in Samaria, John chapter 4, they plead with him to stay, because they know who he is. It's not just a characteristic thing, although when you change your characteristics, people will notice that around you when God changes you. But bearing fruit is also a very physical thing. It is physical. People will come around from the changes of your life. And so God God knows that. God sees that. And and in verse 38, he says, uh, I sent you to reap what you do not sow. Others have done the hard work. The other that he's talking right there in verse 38 is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has done the hard work and you will reap the benefits of his labor. It's just our job to walk through the door. That's our job. And how will you know when to walk through the door? It's very easy. It's a very circular thing right now. You remain in him. And when you remain in him, he'll tell you what to do. Remain in your community. So God and boundaries. Now let's take a look at some of these things. I think they're very important, uh, some God boundaries that He leaves for us and what, what we can talk about. First off, is God gives us work that only we can do. Did you know that God put you on Earth for a reason? You're not here by some random happenstance? You're here for a purpose. And Ezekiel 18, verse 23 says this, Do I take any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Sovereign Lord? Rather, am I not pleased when they turn from their ways and they live? God has work that only you can do here. God wants us to choose him for our own benefit and his glory. That's why he wants us to choose him. The second, some God boundaries, is God gives you work and God respects our no. No. That's really an interesting thing, God respects our no. When Cloud and Townsend said that, when I read through it, I was like, man, that's not true. But the more and more I look at it, the more and more I see God does respect your no. <laughs> when the rich young ruler met Jesus in, uh, in Matthew 19, uh, in, you can find the verses 19, verse 16 through 22, he met this guy named a rich, that was, we don't know his name, we just know him as the rich young ruler. And when he met the rich young ruler, Jesus says to him, he says, good teacher, what must I do to enter eternal life? And Jesus says, you know, keep the commandments. And he lists all the commandments, but one. You want to know the one that he leaves out? Envy. Coveting. He leaves out coveting. I always thought that was super interesting. That Jesus mentioned all the other commandments except coveting. (laughs) Why? You're seeing the physical representation right there in the rich young ruler. Really cool, Jesus, how he does things. And then he says, and then the, the so when the rich young ruler says, all these I have kept from some childhood, I believe he means it. Because <laughs> he didn't mention coveting. <laughs> and so he's like, all of these I have kept such a child. And Jesus says, one thing you lack, sell everything you own and follow me. And the rich young ruler then followed him and they lived happily ever after. Is that how it ended? No, the rich young ruler walked away because of great many possessions. But what's funny, when the rich young ruler walked away, so did Jesus. God respects our no. He respects it. He doesn't, you know. Um, Ecclesiastes 5.5 says this, It is better not to make a vow than to make a vow and not fulfill it. He respects our no. The uh, The third thing that God does with boundaries is God respects our honesty. In Job 13 verse 3, Job is, is going through some pretty hard times He lost his kids Lost his property The only thing he has is his wife And his wife is actually Not the most godliest of women She says in Job chapter 4 Curse God and die <laughs> Like no wonder Satan didn't, <laughs> didn't Didn't take her away She's a great representation Of what God uh, She's a great representation for him right there To just constantly remind himself And so he didn't need to do anything to her She was already there <laughs> And so Job has to live with his wife yelling at him, he has to deal with all his kids being dead, all his property gone, livestock gone. And he says this in Job thirteen, verse three. He says, But I desire to speak to you, Almighty and argue my case with God. And so God respects our honesty. He does. Why do we fear saying how we feel to God? Why do we fear that? Okay? Okay. Okay. All right. Yep, that's what I was about to say. There's a huge difference between being honest and and knowing God, knowing that God did it. Like one of my favorite my favorite scriptures and all our favorite stories is uh, when God tells Abraham he's going to have a son named Isaac at 99 years old, and Sarah's 90 years old. <laughs> and so imagine how that feels, you know, like of being a 90 year old and pregnant. Awesome, you know, I can't imagine that. Well, God says this to Abraham, and you know what Sarah does? She laughs. Isaac means he laughs. And then he comes out and he says, why do you laugh? She goes, I didn't laugh. And he said, no, no, you laughed. <laughs> He's like, oh, no, 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 you laughed. You laughed. And she was like, whoa, I'm 90 years old. Am I going to have pleasure now? <laughs> is that what's going to happen? And God goes, yeah, it is. God respects our honesty. He does. What he doesn't respect is when you come to it and go, you can't do this, which is what I believe Zechariah was doing. When he looks at him with total disregard and total and, 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 and not and not respecting what God has to say. And so God, it's okay, it's okay to ask God questions. There's nothing wrong with asking God questions. God respects our questions. Moses had a thousand questions for God in Exodus chapter three, and God answered every one. Eventually that, that conversation ended, though, God telling Moses, Go. I got more questions, no more. Go. And then, throughout the lines, I think- Moses still asks his questions, and so yep that's the truth, that's the truth yep we we're about we are about to get to it, and so, yeah, yeah, we want God to be honest, and we want to God respect our honesty, but then we got to respect God's honesty back, we got to respect it when God goes. And when we say things like, who, who, where are you? And God goes, I was in the mixed and the whole time. I was right there. Where were you? Where were you? And so people, you know, and one reason why we're afraid to be honest, I feel, is that we often fear being honest because it, wasn't, it was not safe to express honestly inner earthly relationships. And our earthly relationships, uh, being honest, usually met with punishment and things. And so what we have to realize then is that God is not our earthly father. God is our heavenly father. And he does things different. He does things different. And I have had people like how do you get over that mindset? You choose God is going to be different and then trust that choice and you go. That's what you do. It's a boundary of going and I and I and you know of going God is not my earthly father. He's my heavenly father. He's different. Um, We know that people have attacked us or abandoned us when we told the truth or how we really felt. But God won't do that. In Psalm 51, 5 and 6, it says, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother can see me. Yet you desired faithfulness even from the room. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. God wants to hear it all, no matter how bad it seems to us. But we need to be prepared for his answer. So God respects our honesty. And this is another thing. God owes us nothing. When he gives us a gift, like a wife, child, friend, church, God does it out of choice. He is not guilted or under compassion or not manipulated to in any which way, shape, or form. And so it is a gift. So why did God... You know, I, I've been asked this, and I've been asked this by, uh, when, I was, when I was sitting at TU, I uh, would get asked this question uh, a lot by, by people who used to, and after they found out I was a minister and they would want to talk, they would go, why did God die for me then? And I re- at first I had a really hard time with that question. I was like, uh, i got to answer right, i got to answer right. And then finally something just clicked and was like, I was like, no, I don't have to answer right, this is what it says. He died for you because he wanted to. And there's not a dadgum thing you can do about it. (laughs) He is not under compulsion or guilted. And we can rest that God's love is pure. Did you know this? God doesn't resent you. God doesn't hide from you. And he isn't in your lives because he was forced to because of a relationship that was put on. He chose you. And because he chose you, his freedom allows him to love freely. (laughs) And he can do whatever he wants, and yet he chose to do that with us. In John 10.10 it says, The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and live it to the fullest. And God wants a relationship. And Job didn't end his relationship with God after Job's complaining and after God honestly answered him. Job came, God answered Job, and and, uh, the way he answered Job was actually really hard. I'm saying, where were you (laughs) when I did this? Where were you when the earth was made? Where were you? And, oh man, this is the part when I was an atheist, this is the part right here that really rocked my world. Because we used to think the world was flat. But in Job, the first book ever written, it's the first document that we have that, we've, that we leave for Genesis. In Job, it talks about the world being on its axis. Not only do you have to be round to be on an axis, you have to be tilted to be on an axis. How in the world did Job know that? Those were the, those were the questions that kept me up in the middle of the night of going, how did Job know if that book was written, one of the first books written, how did he know? when we thought the world was flat in the 1500s. It's not true. Job knew those things. Now, Job didn't know those things. God knew those things. And because God knew those things, he chooses us to have a free relationship. God wants a true relationship with us. Uh, Job didn't understand God, I'm sure, when God said the hard things, but he allowed God to turn himself, and he didn't withdraw from God. Even when Job was angry with God, he didn't leave God. That's real relationship. That's real relationship. God didn't change his mind. Uh, it says in Isaiah 18.1, God is talking to Israel and he says this, Come, let us settle this matter. Meaning God wants for us and him to be reconciled. That's what he wants. It says though so in Romans chapter 5.2. God is the best father because your opinion and thoughts matter to him. Did you know they can even change? You can even change God's mind. In Exodus chapter 32, you have a thing called the golden calf happening. And what you, if you don't know anything about the golden calf, know that it's uh, what they did at the golden calf. They basically just had this giant orgy is what they had. And Moses is on top of the mountain, and he has these these giant tablets. And he comes down, and then you have the great Charlton Heston voice. He comes up and like let my people go, you know, and all this, and he, and he's like these are the commandments of God. And then he throws them down, you know, and all that. We think that all that happens, uh, but God, Moses in, in the movie Charlton Heston, you're kind of like man, he's kind of surprised they're doing all of this. Actually, in the book Exodus 32, Moses knew what was going on because God told him what was happening, and God said. Lay back. I'm going to destroy and wipe them all out, and I'm going to start a new world with you. And Moses says, no, 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 God, don't don't do that to your people. And I love the exchange because God says, I'm going to go do this to your people. And Moses tells God, God, remember your people. Remember the promise you made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Remember you're a God that keeps your word. And he says, and man, Exodus 32, verse 14, King James Version says this, God repented and did not bring disaster on his, the calamity. Just mean, God changed his mind. And we can change God's mind. We can. We have that power. Because God respects our, our opinion. He respects it. In Matthew chapter 15, there's a Canaanite woman following Jesus around. And, he, and she says, heal says, my daughter, heal my daughter. This went on for days. And Jesus says, oh, I did not come for the Canaanite people. I came for the Israelite people, the children of God. I'm sorry. And she, said, but and she said, He said, it's not good to give the dogs what's good for the children. And she said, But even dogs get the scraps that fall off the children's table. And he goes, I've never seen faith like this in my life. Go, your, your faith has healed your daughter. We can change God's mind, we can do that in Scripture. In King 2 uh, Kings chapter 20, King Hezekiah, King Hezekiah asked God, he, God was going to kill him, and he asked God to prolong his life, and he did. Our, our opinion matters to God. Why? I don't have that answer. I just know that it does. But it doesn't mean that God always do what, does what we ask. You know, I can ask God, God, I really want a Ferrari to do your will. It'll be awesome, Father. Think of all the good <laughs> things we will do the good that could happen. And God's going, man, you're getting a red minivan. That's what you're getting, all right? That's what you getting. You know? But you know, look at the, look at it like this. God gave you transport to do the will of the, that he needed. He does it. He does it. He listens. And he still listens. One of the most, uh oh, I didn't mean to... Uh, Jesus had boundaries, believe it or not. Uh, in Matthew chapter 26, verse, verse 42, Jesus uh, is saying a prayer right before he's crucified. And it says the second time he went and prayed, he was in Golgotha, and he was praying to God. He was asking God, Father, it is, if it's not possible for the cup to be taken away from me unless I drink it. But he ends it with, May your will be done. If it is possible, For this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, may your will be done. And so Jesus knows what it's like for God to go, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do my will. I love the fact that we have a Savior that knows what it's it's like to have a heartbroken prayer. I love that. I love that. And if Jesus had not respected, and you know, if, if Jesus would would looked at that and said, "You know what? I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to die on a cross. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to handle it. We're not going to go forward." Then we would all be hell bound. And Jesus chose, "I'm going to do the will of the Father." So Jesus had boundaries, and God respected that. So. With all these boundaries and with all we're talking about, and guys, I, you're not going to get it in just a couple of hours with me talking about a couple of topics here and there. You know, I would really encourage you to really dig deep on what, some, what God is doing in your life and how God can impact you with boundaries. You're going to have to go through everything we just talked about. You're going to have to go through self and examine and test and prod and look at. You're going to have to go through self, work, family, friendships. You're going to examine your relationship with God. You're going to examine your relationship with, with the, those, you know, those people at work that you don't want to get along with anymore. And, and I really want to encourage you to look at, look at things and look at things in a, in a different light and just know that God is doing some incredible things. And boundaries aren't meant there to be a downer, but no, down, boundaries are there to help give us life and to protect us from things from that, the, that Satan's wanting to do to us and what sometimes we are wanting to do to ourselves. So, let's say prayer as we go. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I just pray that your will be done. God, I pray that, uh, that thank you for boundaries, that thank you for what you've done for us, Father God. God, thank you for Jesus in showing us the way, the truth, and the life, Father God, and how boundaries impact us and how boundaries can, can move us forward, Father. And God, thank you, uh, thank you for, for <laughs> loving us without reason, for loving us with, with, uh, in unconditional ways, Father God. God, thank you for not being like our earthly father and everything that we've talked about. Father, we love you. We praise you and we thank you for everything you've given. And God, thank you for a stupid little mouse that showed us insights into your way, into a whole, just insights of who you are, Father God. It really is out of the mouth of babes. Thank you so much for who you are and what you've done. And thank you for this day. In your holy name I pray, amen. Be blessed, guys. Thanks.